This podcast is brought to you by GG Poker. GG Poker won huge tournaments and hold the Guinness World Record for the largest prize pool for an online poker tournament. As the world's biggest online poker room, GG Poker are making poker fun again. GG Poker offers exciting game formats and software features that aren't available anywhere else. So why play anywhere else? Plus, if you're new to GG Poker, get £60 free play when you make your first deposit of £10 or more. Players must be 18 plus. Full terms and conditions apply. Please see ggpoker.co.uk for details. BeGambleAware.org. Please play responsibly. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. It's the Marketers Report. This week, Patrizia Spagnoletto, Global Chief Marketing Officer, Direct Consumer for Warner Brothers Discovery, weighs in on the difficult task of building and retaining consumer trust. Trust is a really hard thing to build and a really easy thing to destroy, and we have to be very respectful about that. Our partnership with iHeart has really helped us build that trust and that relationship with the on-air talent. The best thing for us to do is to build a relationship with our consumers. And if those consumers have a relationship with the DJs that are on air, then we want to build on that. House of the Dragon, which was one of our most successful, if not the most successful campaign we've ever done for a show, audio was a core part of that. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. Not just a media company, iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. who feel the breath of sadness sit down next to me. Those who find they're touched by madness sit down next to me. Those who find themselves ridiculous sit down next to me in love. Ladies and gentlemen, we are now floating in Screamer Selica. My name's Kevin Graham and as usual I'm joined by Boise. Boise, what's happening, sir? I'm surprised you can remember my name, Kev. I had some words for you, and it was going to be whatever I said, whatever I did, I didn't mean it. I just want to get back for good. (laughs) (laughs) I think we need to talk about take that sometime. I I rate Gary Barlow as a songwriter, like. Oh, yeah, no, no, two ways. I was like, there's my wee laddie who's free watches Paddington, the new rebooted Paddington on on Cartoonito or something like that. I can't remember what it is. And uh, Gary Barlow wrote the theme tune to it. 
And it's as catchy wow. as and it's as catchy as anything, eh? Brilliant. Uh, well, back for good. I think back for good's a decent song. I mean, oh, it is. It is. Uh, and uh, obviously, you remember. Uh, obviously, there was a lot of surprise from Martin O'Neill that uh, Gary Barlow's career wasn't the most successful when he took Robbie Williams to school <laughs> on uh, at the World Cup '98, and he said. You know, you really surprised me, Robbie, you know, because <laughs> I thought Gary Barlow was going to have the career. You can't write, you can't sing, you can't play guitar. Take <laughs> his face. Well, um, unfortunately for the rest of us who have got musical taste, Robbie found somebody who could actually sing, write and play the guitar and write all his songs for him. Eh? That's that. Um, so, <laughs> this actually, don't remember, we're talking about Take That, there. don't remember there was a, it's not this game that we're going to speak about today, but there was a photo of take that leaving Ibrox after a Celtic Rangers game, and Robbie Williams had this Rangers top on. If you Google it, it's definitely there. I think we bet them. I think we bet them that day and take that we're playing in Glasgow, and, right. and Robbie Williams leaves wearing this Rangers kit. No, it doesn't surprise me at all. Uh, I know why he looks like one. I'm, anyway. glad. I'm actually glad that's the, t- the kit he was wearing. Do you know what I mean? Aye, Russell. Would you like you, him in a no, no, you wouldn't. Would you like to see any of them? In, I mean, Jason Orange. That, his name pitch you off. <laughs> Mark Owen would be cut into there. <laughs> oh, we've started talking about take that already. Folk will be tuning <laughs> in. He's going. What the hell are these guys on about? Uh, Russell, that's a cracking shot. I like that. Thank shot. you, mate. That's... Thank you. But you were telling us that you're now struggling for clays, eh? I think I've done I don't know how many shows obviously I've not counted because I can't count but I must have done about 100 shows now for a state of mind and I've won something different on every one all I can say is I'm glad that Fran Alonso the White Jackets became a trademark because that bails me at least one show a week if it's the women's show that I can just wear the same thing because <laughs> uh, my shopping bill's just getting ridiculous Kev you know uh, oh, uh, your washing bill and your shopping bill. Eh? But if anybody, <laughs> I, I, I've said this plenty of times. If anybody wants to send Russell Clobber away, just on his go, we can sort him out. And, and I'll like, make it look cool, man. Ah, he'll make it look cool. He'll make it look cool. I can you miss me on on a Monday, Russell? Eh? But unfortunately, I thought I was getting transferred to a Bournemouth state of mind. <laughs> it t- turns out I'm just moving to a Wednesday. I need to speak to my agent about that. That's. <laughs> that, that's puzzled me that one but well, I'll, miss you, Kev. I'll miss you on the Monday but I'll have to say that yesterday I thought Tony did a great job for his first oh, time but we'll, he was the really can, good the, the and, uh, Amy, I love I, I know and Amy you know for her debut on the Monday big pressure on young shoulders and she did very well as well so she did, she did I, know, I know she's got better partner than me <laughs> so where do, where do we, oh, Kenneth Wolves, I need to actually say this. Hiya, Ken, I hope you're doing well, mate. I want to see Russell in a Rab Sea vest. Maybe in some of the hotter, uh, maybe in the summer, we can get you in a wee summer. It's going to be really, it's going to ruin my street cred, like, but I'm never, I'm never back into that challenge, man. <laughs> so, the DeLorean this week has gone back to 1995, and the uh, 19th of November, 1995. And we're going to... I was going to call it Castle Grayskull there, but Castle Grayskull was where the good guys went. So, right. as Snake Mountain, because He-Man was for Castle Grayskull. That's right. It's, but a lot of people, I don't know how that got, we got that so wrong for so long. I know. You know what I mean? It's, it's, it's very unlike us to actually get something. So, it's Snake Mountain. We're going to, we're going to Snake Mountain. And 
Um, this game was live on STV. Yep. Which utterly, which confused me when I was actually watching it. Really? <laughs> because I'm, they're just that used to watching Sky now, I think. Oh, you, no. actually for, you actually forget that some games were on terrestrial telly. Maybe one, maybe you got one live league game a season. It was usually for Ibrox, right enough, the two I can remember. <laughs> and and uh, I was going, this was on STV. And, yeah. And so we, we, the, the commentary team. Now, you would actually say this commentary team is Celtic-minded. And the commentary team that day was Jerry McNee and Charlie Nicholas. Mm. Both Celtic-minded people. But when you listen back to this commentary, it wasn't very Celtic-minded at all. <laughs> when, no. you listen, but when you listen back to it, uh, it's we went into this game four points behind. We had just moved back to Celtic Park and Tommy Burns was putting his mark on this team. What age were you at this game, Muscle? So I was I just turned eight years old. Um, I remember when I watched it, I watched the first half at... And they laughing at the back. I watched it at Stirling County Rugby Club because I just finished training. <laughs> right? Getting flung about by boys far fatter and bigger than me for two hours in the cold. And then I always remember watching that Andy Tom go in the in the sort of the club suite. Um and then the second half in the house. It's like, right, mum waited to half time to come and pick me up, do you know what I mean? Um but I eight years old. Eight. I was 20, so I watched this, and I'm unsure why I watched it. I watched this in my queues in Banneville. Right, okay, I, in, in, in the pool room, in the pool room at the back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and I don't know why, but I do remember when we get to the equalising goal, I was the only person that jumped. I was, I was the only person. <laughs> but, I don't, but I don't know why I watched it. And uh, my cues, I really don't, and I've been racking my brain, and I do not, I can't even remember who I was with. I do not know why I watched it, my cues, because it was not because it's not the type of game that I would have watched. I must have been gone through a wee mental phase or something like that. I do, not, I, I do not know. I do not know. So we go, we go to, we go to Ibrox, and ten minutes in, we go one nothing up. They're in full George Square board getting it loudy and we shut them up. <laughs> so Tom Boyd breaks forward and he plays it out to he, he plays it out to Simon Donnelly. Donnelly does a decent wee decent wee turn here, eh? And he, he plays it back into Andy Tom. So Tom takes his touch and looks up and he's 30 yards for goal. And he fires this thing. And what I love about this goal when I watched it back the day and yesterday was that net needed there to catch it. Oh, it did, one million. <laughs> that could have hit the back of the net at Celtic Park. You know what I mean? Like it was <laughs> still going like that. It was an off. That's a bullet of a shot. If Celt- ever I've seen one. Now, it's Celt- interesting because we were talking on the... Sorry, Kev. We were talking on the um, in the group chat last night. I was having a wee sort of a bit of banter with, with Colin about... Collins convinced footballs came on leaps and bounds in the last 15 years in terms of tech, technique and things like that. Well, I watched that Andy Tom go on a couple of occasions myself today, Kev, 
And there is nothing wrong with that, Tecker. In fact, to make the ball travel like that with the old type of ball, not one of these new flyaways that they all play with now, um, is all the more impressive and tells me there's a heck of a lot, lot of technique going on um, as far back as 1995. Mm-hmm. I mean, if I would have got hit with one of those balls, one of any might have dealt us, I would have knocked me out. And he, oh, somehow, he somehow managed to scalp it at 60, 70 mile an hour. He's the first kind of player I can remember hitting a ball like that, as hard as that. And then yep. it's, it's, it's became common practice now when you see guys that can rifle shot. But Tom was one of the first that I can actually remember. And and this and this goal's phenomenal. It's an absolute phenomenal goal. Andy Gorm had the cheek to actually die for this. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good point. Don't he had, he, had, he had the cheek to die for it because the ball was in the back of the net before he had even moved. And there was a bit, there was a bit of it almost going like Andy Tom sister. It's going to need to be an absolute teller to beat this inspired idiot in goals for them. Do you know what I mean? Because in that era, obviously we've touched on it before. Some of the saves he was pulling off to to you know dumb founders at times were a joke. So Andy Tom took it upon himself just to give him not not a chance in China saving it, you know what I mean? Not a chance in China. I love that. I love that. Uh, it's, we go one nothing up and the game's a bit petty. Uh, no. This is Hugh Dallas's first Celtic Rangers game. And he books nine folk. And the first person he booked was Pierre Van Hoydonk for uh, scalping Andy McLaren in the face trying to improve his looks because <laughs> I mean you have a you have a look at this Rangers team eh? and they are probably the ugliest team ever to set foot in a Scottish <laughs> football ground. Patrick Patrick and uh, aforementioned Andy McLaren look like gargoyles you get on medieval castles that have just came to life. They, they were like that dug in Ghostbusters, eh? It came to life on <laughs> <laughs> the, the top of the, the, the Empire State building. This, this, this Rangers team, when I had a look at it, I'm going, to, I'm going to read out the names, like Gordon, Clellan, Robertson, Goff, McLaren, Patrick, Ferguson, Gascoigne, Salenko, McCall and Loudrop. That's a court report in the Sterling Observer on a Wednesday. <laughs> that is just basically a team of thugs in blue. <laughs> That's that back line there would get done for GBH every day of the week. <laughs> and like hard to argue with your synopsis, my friend. Hard to argue. Aye, aye. It's it's one of the Rangers teams, and, and it's quite when you actually have a look at them now. It's actually quite you actually do realise why they kept on getting pumped in Europe because they were absolutely brutal. Well, apart from. Gascoigne and well, Gascoigne had a bit of an idiot, uh, and Loudrop. I, I haven't got a bad word to say about Loudrop. I mean, he always feels so, sorry for Loudrop. I mean, he wasn't even the best football player in his own house, so he, 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 he always had to feel sorry for him. Eh? But you look at your team that day, and see, like when you look at this team, I'm actually still surprised the number of players playing who I thought had been long gone by Celtic by this point, who wouldn't right. who, who would they have got right. into this? Gordon Marshall and goals. The, well, we'll get uh, to that. We'll get to that because I think, I think you, you know, all of it saying as an early synopsis is the, the, the two goalkeepers that tells a story as to why one team was, you know, 
fortunate, or not fortunate, but do you know what I mean, achieving more than what we were at that time. And I think that this game kind of encapsulates as much as uh, they both conceded three goals. Right? There's a couple of saves made by one goalkeeper that I was just incapable of making, I'm afraid. Aye, definitely, definitely. So the Celtic team that day, I should have done this at the start. You see, I've been, because I'm not on a Monday, I'm all confused now. Uh, amateur, man. I know, amateurs, amateurs. <laughs> you got Marcel and Goals, Boyd, Tom Boyd, Toss McKinley, Jackie Mack, John Hughes, Peter Grant, uh, we said Donnelly, Paul McStay, Pierre Van Hoydonk, Andy Tom and John Collins. The two subs that came on that day were Brian McLaughlin, B. Eddie Munster, and mm-hmm. Andy Andy Walker <laughs> came on for Celtic that day, right, just, yeah. which again kind of surprised me completely. We had a we had a discussion on the WhatsApp group group chat, Russell, and we're talking about signing players from Scotland, right? You look at that Celtic team. Our goalkeeper was signed for Falkirk. Our left back for Hearts. Our right back for Dunfermline. Our centre half for Falkirk. Peter Grant, Sid and McStay came through the boys' club and John Collins came for Hibs. So this is, this is before signing folk for the Polish second division actually became fashionable. And mm-hmm. sign, signing guys from the Scottish League was the norm. Yes. And I think it's something that we may need to have a look at today and we may need to actually get used to again that we might be shopping in Scottish markets from from I, now I on. I think as well, when you look at the uh, the, the, the two lineups, um obviously you've mentioned Gascoigne and Loudrop in the Rangers team, but several players, I think, came from Scottish clubs in their side and that was their well, sort of most successful era, if you like, you know, that, that, that they ever had. Um go- Gordon comes for Hibs, Cleland, Dundee United, Robertson, Aberdeen, McLaren, Hearts and Patrick, Dundee United. There you go. That's what I was thinking of, exactly. And Ferguson, well, I don't know, St. Murn. Ferguson came to St. Murn. McCall, Bradford. Would would that have been Bradford he came for? Ah, Who cares? Who cares? Anyway, we're we're one nothing up. And it's a magic goal, one one of the greatest uh, Celtic goals against Rangers ever. Then in the twenty fifth minute, we have something that Jerry McNee can never love done. Rangers, I equal- believe it. Rangers equalise. Davy Robertson, who we were just mentioning there, uh, equalises, and the goal gets chopped off for offside. And it's marginal. It is really marginal, actually. They think I'm, I'm going. I'm going to give. The linesman, I think the linesman gave us one here. Eh? I think he just did the know and stuck his flag up to be on the safe side. Eh? But we spend the next 10 minutes, if you're watching the game live on the telly, with Jerry McNee telling us it's one each. I could not believe it when I read that. that is, and his excuse was, I, look, I took my eye off the game for two seconds so I could watch the replay on the monitor. And it was just they- an error. And did, and did they notice that we had the kicked off? That that we, we that we actually took a free kick <laughs> in, in our own books. So for ten minutes, if you were watching the game on the telly that day, you really did think it was one each because Jeremy nah. kept on telling you it was one each. Uh, just after that, Big Van Hoydonk has a chance as well. McStay sets him up and he actually hits Andy Gordon with the ball. And the way this game actually the, the 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 way this game actually turned out, it makes you wonder what would have happened if we would have went two nothing up 
at that mm. point. Uh, at that point, uh, if if we could have held up, if we could have held on to that, eh? but we didn't. Yeah. And what what unfolded is one of the best games that I've ever watched. It, it was a great game, even though we didn't end up winning it. It's a fantastic game. So Rangers eventually do get their equaliser uh, on the fortieth minute below drop, and again, it's just why do we. Why we allowed why we allowed Rangers best player that much space on the right hand right side of the boats, I'll never know. I happen to think we ran the risk of a penalty right before it. I think as the ball breaks the loud I think the referee had a decision to make, to be honest with you. And I think if we got away with one with Robertson. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. Sometimes lightning doesn't strike twice. and It may well have got pulled back for a pen. There's a not, there's a not, a not, a not each other clumsy sort of coming together in the box, which the Rangers players won the ball, we've not, and it's broke to Loudrop, and Loudrop scoring's probably bailed Hugh Dallas out in his, you know, Celtic Rangers debut <laughs> out of having to make, you know, a massive decision with a lot of pressure. So what I would say is, well, what a finish in the side yeah, of that. Finish. I'm not going to blame Marshall for that one. We'll get to him, but I think, um, I think with that goal, I mean. That was, you know, he was one of those players. He did, he did give you the fear. Even when I remember being young watching it. Was he was just ice cold in these situations? You know, I think that's the most animated I've ever seen him. Was his celebration the whole time he was at Rangers? I've never seen him yeah. run about that, that, that ever before. You know, he was just seemed to be ice in the veins and cool, calm and collected. And our defence at the back at times when you watch the full match, and this this is one of the moments, just a bit panicky at times, eh? I think that was. I think that's what made this team so excited for us, man. The uh, I think I mean, Big John Hughes was an honest, was an honest player. Tom Boyd w- w- was a good player. Eh? Uh, who else would have been the centre other centre half that day? Would have been Boyd. Would have been another centre half. Eh? Uh, so you had Boyd and Hughes as the two centre halves that day. So it's no, it's not the greatest partnership that you that you want that you want to be going to Ibrox way or you want to be going anywhere, eh? But they're two honest professionals. We were, talking about, we were talking about Denier and Van Dyke two weeks ago, Ken. <laughs> who, who would you rather have uh, uh, this season, Iron Duffy or Tom Boyd <laughs> or Tom Boyd and John Hughes? <laughs> it's, a, it's a flippy a coin, man. <laughs> That's true. That's it's a flippy a coin. <laughs> uh, just after Loudrop scores... Um, and it's into the second half. Rangers get a free kick, and we're going to talk about Gordon Marshall here. And it's it's on the right hand side of the box. Yes. And, and Gordon Marshall goes away and stands on his right hand post and leaves Gascoigne basically the full goal. He actually He's at- standing at the halfway line, Kev. <laughs> He's in the six yard box. You know what I mean? What? He's, he's out the six yard box, sorry. Standing ex- nearly outside it. He's he's expecting Gascoigne to cross it, and he and oh. so he's so he's standing where he thinks the ball's going to go on the edge of his six yard, but and Gascoigne tries to score, 
quite rightly if you if you're getting offered that sort of invitation, <laughs> you will right to score. And you see Marshall scrambling across, and he eventually he does the touch the ball across the bar. It goes across the bar, eh? but you go, why? <laughs> what were you actually playing at? I, I, I think I think that's where, as much as we've been pushing for SPFL players of late in the in the modern side, I think that's where you need that balance. I think. In a in a pivotal role such as goalkeeper, you need real quality as opposed to someone who gets it or that. You know what I mean? You need like probably you need to go for quality above anything else for a goalkeeper. And for Gordon Marshall to not have the awareness of who is the free kick taker that he's going to be up against, it's Paul Gascoigne. He's going to try things that are unpredictable. This is not, and I just think he's forgotten his opposition. Maybe not got enough experience against guys that are, let's be honest, when Gascoigne on his day was world class, there was no two ways about it. I mean, I think only a year later, at Euro 96 and stuff, he was a joke. And I think he'd done, I can't remember Italian 90, but apparently he'd done well there as well. Mm-hmm. And I just think Gordon Marshall's inexperience of dealing with elite footballers maybe came through a wee bit there. That was maybe SPFL goalkeeping positioning for a free kick in a far bigger magnitude of sort of game that you know that 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 he's used to. I, I think what you're actually saying there when the the two best goalkeepers I've seen in my time at Celtic Park have been Arthur and Fraser Foster and they have yep. been more recent. We just couldn't sign a goalkeeper at this point. It was almost as if we just forgot about them. And just well, like, hey, we'll put anybody in goals, it's fine. We'll, it's uh, we're going to score four goals and if we want, if we want in free, that'll be fine. But it's quite incredible, though, Kev, isn't it, to think that Shea Given and Brad Friedel were on trial only two years before, and we released both of them. Aye, definitely, aye, aye. We, we Shea Given and Friedel went on to both become two of the most PL appearance, uh, EPL appearance makers in history. So many clean sheets, so many caps between them, and we had them under our nose and opted for uh, Stuttgart. No offence to Stuart Kerr, actually. I preferred it when he was in goals to Gordon Marshall, to be honest with you. Did, did, we, have a, did we have a goalkeeping coach at that time? I'm not 100% sure. Uh, who, who made those decisions? Who did make Man, those decisions? Eh? Back to this game. After Gaza's free kick, uh, Andy Tom fires on a great ball into the box. It's a free kick. And Richard Goff rugby tackles John Hughes as Hughes goes for a free header. Uh, or state of mind, producer Paul comes in. Joe Corrigan was the coach. I don't even care who Joe Corrigan is. I think he was an, is an ex-Hibs goalie. Is that the Joe Corrigan I'm thinking? It? Uh, might be. Aye, so he, he, gets, <laughs> he, get, he gets brung down. And Richard Goff has the cheek to sit there and look at Hugh Dallas. With, with this like innocent face as if to go what did I do what did I do it's the biggest stonewall penalty you'll ever, ever see even Jerry McNee says that's a penalty kick I think um, I, I think it's an old commentator thing but you know they say like judged by the reaction of the of the supposed uh, you know person who's committed the crime and you can judge by the reaction if, if they're guilty or not and let's be honest Goff's sort of doing that puppy dog eyed routine which is just like just this complete guilt do you know what I mean he's not strongly protesting he's not shouting screaming he's not in disbelief he's going for the little me routine do you know what I mean it just it, it tells you he knows he knows everyone knows 
And uh, sometimes that's what it takes to try and uh, to try and stop a force like Big Yogi. You know what I mean? I'm getting tell in the comments that Joe Corrigan used to play for Man City, the former England and Man City goal- goalkeeper. So there you go. Good to uh, know. So we get the penalty kick and John Collins two years away for the famous wink in the in the World Cup puts the ball on the spot. Andy Gorn's been angry about something. <laughs> he, he's, he's walking to his edge, edge of the six-year box and back and all of that. So Collins runs up left foot and he puts it in the in the goalkeeper's bottom. That'll be his left. He puts it to the goalkeeper's left. Andy Gordon guesses the right way, but guess what I love? The fact that he's a wee short arse, he's got wee short legs and wee stumpy arms. He's not big enough to get it. He's not big enough to get it. And also the fact that he jumped three foot off his line. If he hadn't jumped three foot off his line, he probably would have got the ball. Mm, that's a good point. I think um, you would have to agree that there's no one you wanted to take that penalty more than John Collins, though. I know he gets bad rep for being arrogant and that, but I just think you need to be arrogant sometimes, you know what I mean, if you want to get to be the best. Um, and Colin is a top, top player, and he he had the the confidence in his cell, the, the composure to, to take that penalty, and under the, under that sort of heat, he was the man to take that penalty. It was no surprise. that The ball actually, as much as we're saying about Gora, the ball hits the side netting, mate. I think you can't ask for any more than that from a penalty taker. Even if the ball's not travelling at a great great uh, rate of knots if you hit the side net and with that sort of pinpoint accuracy a goalkeeper would do very very well to keep it out he would do very well to keep it out but I, I took mere pleasure the fact is how annoyed Gordon was mm. <laughs> that, he, that he didn't get the hang of this and because he had tried everything and the jumping off the line to actually narrow the angle then, yeah. then jump to the left and he's just no he's just no big enough he's just a wee bit too stumpy to actually get there I really enjoyed that I don't know why. I'm 45. I shouldn't. I shouldn't get enjoyment out watching a goalkeeper being no saving a penalty kick. But that mm-hmm. gave me some enjoyment actually when I watched it again. <laughs> uh, no, another thing that didn't give that doesn't give me much enjoyment. 63 minutes, we give away a free kick, and it gets swung in. I think it gets swung in by David Robertson actually, and Ali McCoyst, who's just on as a sub. Somehow manages manages to out jump John Hughes and header the ball into the back of the net. Uh, and when I was at the start of this, I was talking about the the commentary. When he scores, Jeremy Nee goes super alley does it again. In this commentary, Charlie Nicholas keeps on calling Paul Gascoigne Gaza all the way through it. Mm-hmm. See, see Jeremy Nee calling him super alley. That just really done my goat again uh, when I heard it. But you're saying that he was a Celtic fan, Jerry McNeil? Jerry McNeil's wrote Celtic books, aye. Big Billy McNeil banjoed him in a hotel on a European oh, trip. No. I didn't uh, know that story, in fact. No, I didn't know that. But, I, I mean, I don't know. It's just, I think with, we're not going to go doing like all the media control they had and all that crap and the Maria's and all that nonsense because you can do your own show about that. But I mean, I think it's just a little glint, an example of just how much they were the establishment club. And, you know, Scottish media was guilty of feeding into the superiority complex that I think they've still, <laughs> definitely, judging by some of the comments I read, by the way, they've still definitely suffered from. Um, and I think, you know, 
in fairness, it was an ego that got, you know, on steroids was what Rangers was then. And, and you know, that, that ego got inflated by, you know, such trivial things like that. But that's going on during a massive rivalry, um, during a match. Just we terms like that, terminology like that, just re-emphasises to them that they are the people, you know. And, and, that, and that's what happens, you know. It was a very obedient, succulent media back then, do you know what I mean? And you, know, you would never get that now, do you know what I mean? I think, I think Crocker's done the odd one, uh, like the Super Swede and stuff like that, but it was never like, I don't know, I think he was just going for alliteration at times as opposed to, like, Jerry McNeese sounds like a supporter. Uh, it was the it was, living room, jumping uh, up going, Super Ali does it again! You're like, no way, mate! That, that's what it was. It was just trying to bring that. It was. It was trying to bring the the, the commentary down to a fan level by calling them their nicknames. Mm. Like, see, like so. It's not like the super Swede. That's that's fine. That, that that's perfect. But actually calling them super super Sally is like super. I called them super Sally. Super Ali, <laughs> uh, like, is just wrong. It, it would be like I thought you meant that. <laughs> I probably did. <laughs> I probably did. So, uh, but it would be like Ian Crocker gone the King of Kings, and I think he actually had says the King of Kings at, at sometime at one point as well. Eh? Um, but one thing, what else I disliked about Alan McCoyst? I think everything he does is fake. See that runaway celebration as if it's the greatest goal that he's ever scored that he's gone to greet and everything's great and I'm marvellous and I'm, oh, I'm going to greet. I'm so emotional that I've scored this goal. And it doesn't matter if he scored against bloody Rafe or Celtic or Juventus or Juve. It was always the same celebration. It was all. It was always over the top showmanship. Oh, look at me, look at me, I'm great, I'm great. He's, he's, he's a fake man. He's absolutely a fake. And and like his mask slipped for me a couple of years ago when he actually uh, says, Who are these people? Let's get them yep. named when he was a manager of Rangers. Eh? And, it's and, funny, eh? Because see when he scored, I always thought he would just walk away. You know what I mean, Kev? What do you mean? Oh, oh sorry, he doesn't he do walk oh, away. Oh, 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 I forgot that I forgot that was in the script, Russell. Sorry. <laughs> uh, I, I, it's just where the hell's that? I know I can't where the hell's that. I mean, uh, I it was just it's just the over the topness that he done with absolutely everything. I've never worked question a sport since he appeared on it. I've, I've, I'm showing you how petty I'm there. I've never watched question a sport since he was he was a captain on it. And you didn't Kenny was a captain on question a sport. Yes, I did. Yes, oh. I did. Come on. I used to like, I used to like, I didn't actually mind him on that, but I was young and easily influenced, Kev. Aye, um, you, 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 were, you were took in, you were took in by his public, his super alley persona. He was oh, such I'm, a joker. I'm, oh, I'm jovial, I'm jovial. <laughs> ah, right, moving on very, very quickly. <laughs> Before 66 so minutes. next goal. Uh, uh, right, right, sorry, on you go, on you go. Aye. Sorry, I'm jumping in, mate. 66 minutes. We play some great football in the middle of the park, and that's one thing that, like these highlights, these highlights prove. We actually played them off the park at times. Our football that day was utterly spectacular at times. Yeah. We play it out wide. The ball goes into the box. Andy Tom tries to get ruined. I can't remember some of the big clunker at the back, and it goes out to Tosh McKinley. Tosh McKinley fires in another great ball. 
We spoke about him the other week, didn't we? And I was looking for them, mate, because see, see, because the conversation we had, I was like, do you know what? He, he, him or Alan Thompson is a good debate for who could whip in a ball for the left, by the way. I didn't realise Tosh McKinley's delivery was as good as what it clearly clearly was. So I was a wee bit ignorant to that, to be fair. Folk would pay a lot of money for a full-back with Tosh McKinley's crossing ability now. Um, So... This ball goes into the box. Big Van Hoydonk, six yards out, puts it on a plate. And the papers, when you actually read the papers, and they say it was the greatest save ever. Better than Gordon Banks and Mexico City. I think it's a load of crap, man. See if Van Hoydonk had put it anywhere else. Gordon wasn't save, saving that. He put it right down Gordon's throat. It was too easy. Uh, right, okay. I thought it was a good. I thought it was a good save. When I watched that, I was like, "Oh yeah, you know how did they manage that?" Um, I I think there's an element of luck. You need to be fortunate when a ball's coming at that pace from such short range. But I think the way he spreads himself, the way he anticipates that there's going to be a first time hit and all that, and the way he's got his angles, he always has his angles covered as well, going very well. I, I get your I get your vibes, Kev, right? I get your vibes, but we're gonna need to for for balance, I'm gonna say it was a it was a very good save, I thought, but we'll agree to disagree on that one, mate. <laughs> no, 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 you're right. But like as you say, he had he had to he, he had he had to get his angles right because he's a wee stumpy short ass. I've just got serious issues about Andy Gorman and Ali McCoy's man hang. I don't know what it is. I wish uh, I had picked this game. No, no, it's been great. I loved it. I mean, it's the 25th of May. We should probably have done Lisbon, but let's, 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 be, let's just not be obvious, eh? Let's go and do something else. <laughs> Nothing to do with forgetting. Absolutely not. <laughs> uh, Jay Lee in the comments, uh, on McNee calling McCoy Super Alley, many commentators in the 80s called the players by their nicknames. I recall Richard Park, a blue nose, calling Judas Super Mo when he played for Celtic. Wow. Oh, I can't I can't remember that. Good memory though. There, there you go, eh? Um so I what actually happened is Gorn puts that out for a look, Andy Gorn was a great goalkeeper. He actually saved Rangers that many times over over Tommy Burns's over Tommy Burns's either, eh? He, he was a fantastic goalkeeper. He was a great goalkeeper at Hibs as well. Then he went on and you look, he went to Man United and I don't think Roy Keane liked him at Man United, but Keane's a good judge of character, I think. Oh, uh, don't make me rev up that bus. Don't. <laughs> Is that, but I thought that bus was burnt out. Never, never. I thought you had burnt out the Roy Keane. Oh, never, man. Never. Uh, Arthur Goat that's a strange name mate Kev the two of them broke your heart time after time maybe that's where your problem with them why probably does Arthur I'm not going to disagree with that I'm not going to disagree with that I'm not going to disagree with that though mate I think I think Arthur you know certain players get it tighter because it's a you know see if you're not getting it, getting it tight from the other side of whatever the you know whatever side of the divide you're on then you've been irrelevant you've probably been rubbish 
you know, you uh, you're either super bad like Sibo, do you know what I mean? And you get chants named after you and all that and cheered when you come on, or, or you know, you're, you're good. And we know you're good, so we didn't like you. I think I would take aye, your backhanded aye, compliment. Aye, aye, aye. For, for, for me, it is a backhanded compliment that the fact that these two guys annoyed me so much that... that- that I've still got that. I mean, nearly the current ring just team actually annoy me. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. So no. maybe that maybe that says it all. Maybe that says it all. Maybe they'll begin to annoy me, but I, I don't think so. I think I'm too old to actually be bothered about football. I think you're today that you are definitely not too old to be annoyed, Kev. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, right. Gorn puts it out for a corner. We put in a corner kick, and Gorn punches the ball out. And as he's fallen, he takes a kick at John Hughes <laughs> as he was lying. He takes a kick at John Hughes. There's a stramash in the on the line. It ends up with John Hughes and Andy Gordon getting booked. Now, the only person that should have been booked here, John Hughes didn't do anything. Gorm attacked him. Then Richard Goff comes in and attacks John Hughes as well, pushing him into the net and trying to actually take the net off him, take the net off the off the, the goalposts. And Jerry McNee says, Oh, there's Richard Goff splitting them up, being the peacemaker. Right. What are you watching, mate? What are you actually watching? Andy Gordon's just actually d- decided to to kick out at somebody and get up and attack Big John Hughes. Brave man attacking, uh, brave man attacking John Hughes. Uh, but again, it was one of these things. Both players got booked, and you're going, well, what did the Celtic player actually get booked for there? Uh, well, well, it's one it's one of those things. I don't know. Is it because the because he made the made the net bulge more than Andy Tom earlier. I don't know. It's it's hard to work out what where that comes from is beyond me, Kev, because it is quite clearly and way, I don't feel sorry for John Hughes because you know fine well he could handle himself, it wasn't it was no problem. You know, but cornering him into a net, um and I for Hughes to be booked, he must have been baffled, eh? I know, and it's quite it's quite weird, and it shows you it shows you how fake Mister McCoy's does. As Hughes has gone back to the halfway line, Ali's giving them a wee rub on the head, laughing and joking with him, eh? and I'm going, I just can't stand it. That's just what, what you doing? But then eventually Hughes goes back and gets gets booked. We've spoke about the good, a Tosh McKinley, right? In the seventy-first minute, he puts Rangers three to ahead. Now, I'm going to let him off. I'm going to let him off. Aye. Yes. And why are we going to let him off? What actually happens here is we lose the ball on the right-hand side. Tom Boyd inexplicably tries to backheel the ball on the touchline uh, to Paul. What was that? <laughs> to like, Paul what was that? Oh, who knows what was going through his head there, mate. I don't, because that's not a tomboyed trait from what I remember is him doing flicks and tricks. And, 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 and you just look at the, 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 the position of where the ball is and you're trying to work out, why are you doing that there? What's went through you? That's a, 
the, a rush of blood to the head usually means a wild tackle from a centre back, Kev. No, not a back heel. No, 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 your own box. No, how can you? No, how can you, Bobby Carlos, and you can back heel the ball twenty five years out to Paul McStay. Aye. That's what, what you tried to do. And McStay's in trouble, eh? Like McStay, no, he's going in for a fifty fifty that he can't. He's realistically, he's not going to. And he slips. He's not going to win. Yep. And, and he slips. And, I know, uh, and then that was because he was desperate, though. That's why you slipped. Because you're like, wow, I didn't expect that. And then, aye, carry on. So, Salenko breaks into the box and he does a, he does a wee sort of awkward cross, cross, cross the face of the goal uh, uh, ball. And Gordon Marshall dive, dives and misses it. And Toss McKinley's behind him. Toss McKinley slides in because is it McCoy that's behind McKinley? I'm yep. not 100 percent sure. Yeah, and McKinley go, goes to clear the ball out the pitch, and it hits Gordon Marshall on the back and goes in. It's it's a Gordon Marshall on goal. It's not a Toss McKinley on goal because because McKinley's McKinley's clearance was going out the pitch. I'll tell you this as well. That that warning sign was that offside goal or offside whether it was or not by by Robertson. Marshall's letting that ball from that side of the pitch slip under him. Too easy. His reactions were far too slow. He should have stopped the ball even getting to Torch McKinley in the first place. Mm-hmm. I know, I know. It's it's a hor- it's a horrible. But nowadays that would have been given as a goalkeeper's own goal. Yeah, I, I'm letting Torch off with that. He he had done his job. I also don't think Josh Mc... He's not had the reaction time either, Kev. They should have. Because it should have been stopped before it even came to him. He's only just basically covering uh, McCoy. He's he's, he's got in front of him. He's taken up a good position. And he is expecting meat and drink for for Marshall to either, at the very worst, put it out for a corner and block it, or actually probably gather it. I think a decent goalie would be able to do that. It somehow squirms under him, comes at a funny angle... So his clearance then is a wee bit ski-whiff in fairness, uh, Tosh McKinley's, but that's not his fault. And as you say, it then ricochets again before it goes in. I know, I know. Man, mental. But before they can actually get the, the bunting out and the party tunes and all of that, we get the ball for kick-off, play it about the back for a wee while, then play a great move. And before we know it, Tosh McKinley's on the left-hand side again. Oh, he's got the freedom of the Brunlone Road. And he flips in another fantastic ball for Big Pierre to actually score a perfect header. And it's a great header as well, off the inside of the post. Eh? Amazing. Amazing. And just think the strength of character for McKinley, who, let's be honest with you, been feeling rotten. We, we're, we're, you know, is it exonerating him? Is we're exonerating him. Oh, right, we're exonerating him. Right, good vocabulary, boy. Safe. I'm learning all the time, Kev, honestly, man. I'm going to make it one day, mate. But anyway, uh, I just think from the negative mindset, that see our footballer nowadays, Kev, put it that way, how many of these, can I say snowflake, is that allowed? Are, how many of these snowflake footballers these days have that mental strength in a heated dub like that? And trust me, the atmosphere at these sort of games back then with the toxic singing and all that is ramped up to a level you just didn't get, you know, at the Emirates Arena and at Arsenal and stuff like that, you know what I mean? And how many of these so-called elite players these days have that mental fortitude to go, not only am I going to get over what's just happened, even though I probably like a dumpling, um, 
I'm going to make up for it with quality under the, the greatest pressure away to your greatest rivals, 3-2 down, probably taking the full blame in his head. And within a minute, he puts in a cross that is, again, an absolute shambles how good it is. Like, just so impressive, Kevin. It is so impressive. But I think that's a lot to do with the team believed in. Uh, the team believed in what they were doing. The team believed that they could get back in. They could get back into the game, and McKinley had confidence in himself that I'm going to get one chance here to make up for this, and I'm going to put in this ball. I mean, but to do it that quickly after uh, to do it that quickly, I takes, takes a lot, Kev. Come on, I think, I think he deserves a heck of a lot of credit for for reacting like that. Whereas, as I say, I just don't think you see enough of that with players nowadays. Celtic concede that third. Celtic now concede that daft third goal that's comical and the heads go down we get beat 4-2 well, probably 5-2 well you know what I know and uh, you, you're right there eh? for for those who are trying to remember this goal the Liverpool goalie scored one nearly virtually the same the other week there with the header from the the, the the near post to the far post. Yeah. And, and it's a fantastic header. And Big Pierre was fantastic at that. Uh, Tommy Burns, after this game, now everybody says this was like one of the greatest old fun games ever. Tommy Burns, after this game, says, Rangers have a big, strong side. Uh, we, are, we are inferior physically, but we didn't let that bother us. We played the game the way we wanted. That's what I just want a Celtic team to do. Play the game the way that we wanted. And that and that was a secret. That's why we love Tommy Burns' Celtic, because they played yeah. the game the way that we want to see the game played. I couldn't agree more with you. Um, the game sums up, I think, all the, the good and the bad of that, that, that Celtic side. And it was one of, I think one of the reasons they were such an exciting team was they really did put you through a roller coaster of emotion week in, <laughs> week out. I mean, that season was the season when we lost one game. And but that we was. Blew. was that, 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 that was that season, but that was the first Celtic Rangers game we lost. We got beat at Celtic Park 2 0. Well, that side, I, I get that, but that whole season we only lost one, but we drew 11. Now, that's torture because you know at least half of those draws should have been could have been wins. But because of the the topsy turvy nature of this team and the, the free flowing football that we were playing and the the perhaps lack of quality maybe it came down to you know, it's particularly I think between the sticks. Um sadly bitters on on the back side. But I've got to say I just think that team was really exciting and it was the first time that team, I think they'll get associated with the first time we had a, the, the first ever foreign influx. Do you know what I mean? Like where you were getting Van Hoydonks, Toms, and then obviously went on to Decanio Cadetti and all that. But that era under uh, Burns, I think, always be remembered as the first time we started in, integrating some, uh, you know, some, some European flair into, you know, you know, the Celtic side, like well, more predominantly than than, than before. Do you know what I mean? I think uh, it's interesting. Tony came up with a fantastic uh, catchphrase, shall we say, on Monday. What is Unbelievable. it? Unbelievable. Was it rebuild, 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 remember? And when Eddie Howe comes in, I want him to have a look at Tommy Burns' Celtic. 
I want him to speak to Peter Grant about Tommy Burns' sale because Peter Grant played a major part in this game and he was fantastic in this game with Peter Grant and go like that this is the way that we want to play football and that should always be remembered that should be your first port of call I yeah. think it just shows you how much of a loss Tommy Burns still is to not obviously you know his family and all that but I actually think to Celtic what an asset he was even you know you know he wasn't an old man when he when, when he when he sadly passed either um, Kev you know he could still be doing that exact same role right now. The first person Eddie Howe meets when he comes for contract talks isn't Dermot Desmond, isn't Peter Lawwell, it's Tommy Burns. Do you yeah, know what I mean? Be, should be so, do you know what, you understand that? And he would still be in full flow the now easy days. I don't think he'd be particularly old still in his late 60s, I think. So, I mean, what, 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 just, on a, just on a football level, I know there's a lot more to it when someone passes away, but I just think, you know, on a, on a Celtic side of things, he really is such a loss as an asset in, in terms of uh, integrating people into what Celtic is and, and probably has, you know, never been replaced, to be fair. It probably hasn't. And very, I'll tell you the truth, it's going to be in Celtic's 130-odd year of history, it would be, I think Tommy Burns is irreplaceable. I don't, no, think, I, I, I don't think you can replace Tommy Burns in the place that he's, he's got in the history of Celtic and the place that he's always got in the history in our, our hearts, definitely. And that's, that's for folk, that's for young guys like you who never saw him playing and like were, were only eight when he was a manager. The guys I, like me who saw him playing wanted him to be the manager. Then when he came back under Stratton, it's fantastic. And when Tony says remembered, obviously there was... He was talking about Jock Steen, the 25th of May in that yep. day. But I want him to have a look at that side as well and go, mm-hmm. by the way, that's how I want us to play football. I want yep. us to play football with that heart and soul of Celtic. Why Why we were all, Why we, we are always the good guys up against... We, we were always the Cavaliers. They were always the roundheads. I remember that being told to me in the, the early 80s. That was the way Celtic and Rangers were described. We were always the Cavaliers. They were always the born roundheads. And that's always stuck with me. And that's how I want us to play football. And to tell you the truth, you called that a roller coaster season. I would rather have that season this season than the utter turgid rubbish that we had to watch for September playing onwards. Safe. Playing safe, playing safe to the last game of the season. Same old boring lineup that had flopped at everything still starts. I mean, that is, I mean, that's torture. Let's be honest. That is nothing like what we're talking about right now. And by the way, you're absolutely spot on. I never, I never had the, the privilege of seeing Tommy Burns in one of the, the, the Celtic teams. But if you ask me who my favourite Celtic is, I would always say Tommy Burns, which is mad because I've watched so much of him on like YouTube and all that, particularly the last 10 years. Um, but I always remember when he when he died, like it was like, like it hit me sort of things. You know what I mean? I'm like, wow, I feel really un... Like I'm like I don't know this person, and you know I I didn't I didn't like it. it didn't sit with me at all. I felt really like it, like not wasn't crying, but like I felt like a loss. Do you know what I mean? Like it was mm-hmm. like a loss. That I was gutted. Gutted would be the word. And uh, then, then I've done a lot of homework on me. Like I like not homework, but like just watching interviews, watching people talk about him and stuff. Um, I, he's my favourite Celtic man ever. Easy. Definitely, he's what he's. He is up there with one of the greatest Celts ever. Now we'll move on to the music. Now, Russell, do you know that us as a media company, 
a state of mind media company. The ones that were invited into hubs, a Celtic state of mind weren't they invited to hubs. A state of mind were invited to hubs. Try and explain that to folk. I'll try and explain that to folk. And it was hubs, it was nothing to do with Celtic and stuff like that, right? We're releasing a record. We, a state of mind, are releasing a record. By Liverpool legend Edgar Summertime Jones. Mm-hmm. So this guy's a legend. He's played with Echo and the Bunny Men. He's played with the Stairs. He's played with Ocean Colour Scene. Yeah. And for me, he's a phenomenal genius. He is a phenomenal genius. And he came up to do the first state state of music, uh, the, the other show that we've got here. Eh? And they recorded a song for us called "Mister Can You Tell Me," and we're going to release it as a as yeah. a, as a single. So producer Paul hit it. There you go. The Such first class that is it's brilliant, eh? It's nice laid back summer vibes. Oh, I love it. Absolutely love yeah, it. Deep it. Boys as well. Oh he's brilliant. He's a great he's a great fella as well. Uh, big Evertonian uh, as as well. It seems to be a thing. There's a lot of 
cool creative Evertonians kicking about. So that'll be out really, really soon. Uh, so keep keep an eye out for it, and we'll. And Screamer Celica exclusive. Is that what you're telling me? You've been involved in there, Kev? That's a Screamer Celica exclusive. It was saved by. Yes, was saved, mate. It yeah. was actually saved back for for us, for us, mate, for us. Get wow. me. We'll move well, on that... to music because of that we interlude. And uh, everybody says, have a look, uh, search Edgar, Edgar Summertime Jones on YouTube and all of that and have a listen to his stuff. His stuff is absolutely fabulous, absolutely brilliant. You won't be disappointed. Now, we'll go to the music. 1995 was Britpop. We're, we're, only, three, we're only two months, three months away from... Uh, the August Battle of Britpop, which was Blur v Oasis, Rollway versus Country House, which Country, Country House actually won that battle if there was ever a battle, where, if it wasn't just a record company uh, generated, generated thing. But we're into the November, and number one in the charts is Robson and Jerome <laughs> with I Believe a double A side of I Believe in an Up on the Roof <laughs> so for well, how so for how good music is Robson and Jerome are number one they had two number one albums didn't they um, I think they had the cheek to release a greatest hits on the back of the two they just put the two albums together on the one CD and just released it as a greatest hits but my mum and dad had Robson and Jerome's Right album in the house. I don't, I don't. Think my dad listened to it, but I remember that like being young and just being like whatever CD was there. I would take, I'd buy it on it, eh? and I'm going to credit them with a few songs that like. I know they're all covers that they did, eh? but I wouldn't have known them if I hadn't been for listening to Robson Jerome, man. There you go. Oh, no. What would you want me to do? I'm eight years old, nine years oh, old. Right, I know, I know. What I know, know. Like, be like, Dad, you, Dad, you got any drifters, mate? Do you know what I mean? Like. I'm nine. Do you know what I mean? Like, give a break, mate. <laughs> oh, you've not you've not discovered Motown yet, boys. Eh? Give me peace. You know what I mean? Of course I've not. But yeah. that was how I, I thought. I wonder what the original was like. You listen to the original, you realise it's a better version. But at least they they brought some music to me. No two ways to do. The whole world. I I can just I just. I couldn't believe because I just they were on, they were on a program called Soldier Soldier which my my mom and I used to watch all the time, and I can't even I think one of them was called Paddy and Soldier Soldier, but just them all of a sudden becoming chart stars were was like quite unusual to me at that. Mm. Well, was it unusual because you had all the folk for neighbours who had done the stock aching and water yep. and bits and, and and stuff like that. Eh? Um, so they were number one. And number two was Gangster Paradise Bay, the ultimate Tim Coolio. That's right, that's right. Good tune that as well. Which is, a, which is a cracking song. So here we go. In the title, we've got Oasis v Blur and the Battle of Britpop. Recently, actually this week, Noel Gallagher came out and says he doesn't like Wonderwall. He says it sounds half finished. So at number four in the charts this week was Wonderwall by Oasis, and at number five was the Universal by Blur. Which song has aged better? Wonderwall. There's no two ways. Oh, no two ways. There's no two ways. There's a reason why it's been played so many times, because it's brilliant. I'll tell you about Noel Gallagher, right? 
he is in no man's land just now. He's in no man's land. This is a man who now says, oh, I hate Wonderwall. He says, uh, what is it he said recently, about three months ago, I hope Oasis fans don't like my new music because I, I don't want them to. I'm moved on from that. He then's on Jonathan Ross playing a song that quotes us an Oasis song in it, Cast No Shadow. <laughs> Sounds like every Oasis song that he ever did. It's um, Where We're Living, The Dreams We Have As Children. It's got that wee riff in the background. He's went back to doing his Oasis formula, quoting Oasis songs, and he's saying, I don't like Wonderwall, though, and I don't want Oasis fans to like my music, and we're never getting back together. And I, I, he is in, he doesn't know what to do right now because the pendulum has swung Kev, and he is very much out in the cold right now, and I love it. It's delicious, and he deserves all of it. But his song is better than The Universal by a mile. I'm going to disagree. I think the Universal's better than Wonderwall. I wouldn't have says it. I wouldn't. Have, I wouldn't have says that in 1995, but 26 years later, I'm definitely going to say it. Uh, I, I do think the Universal's aged far better than Wonderwall, and Wonderwall sounds completely off its time, which is quite which is quite weird for me to actually say that because if you if you'd asked me in 1995. <laughs> That mm-hmm. wouldn't have been, that wouldn't have been my answer. Yeah. That definitely wouldn't have been my answer. I was Team Oasis all the way at that point, but obviously when you go back and have a look at things, um, which we will do after we speak about your album, uh, some some things change. But I want Who to give you like, about my album. Let's just talk about this. I can get oh, right in no, 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 no. Let's go then. Let's go. Right. I listened to what's the story of Morning Glory. Today, we start to finish for the first time in a year, maybe, mm-hmm. maybe, maybe longer. And there's at least one, two, three, four, four songs on it that now I go, I can't even believe they made the album. The mm-hmm. first three, you can do away with the first three for me. You can do away with Hello, Roll With and Wonderwall. Never ever say that again. Never. Uh, hello? Hello, I, you can do away with Hello. What? What? That, that would be, it probably make my top ten Oasis songs ever. But, hello is it? Oh, it's a double-decker bus man hitting you in the face. They were always good for that. The first tracks of their albums are always good and to turn a Gary Glitter chorus into a good song is an achievement in itself. <laughs> <laughs> and they did. Hello? No, Liam recently, um, he, he, he performed it live on Radio 2 about six, seven months ago. He's brought it back. I think he did it on that, kind that gig he did on the, the freighter or whatever it was. On the boat, on the boat, aye. Up the aye. So I, I said freighter, you know what I mean? I was trying to be all smart on myself there. I'll just call it a boat, boy, too. Just call it a boat. <laughs> It was a boat, right? He, 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 but, he, 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 wasn't, he wasn't taking tankers of oil up the Thames. No, I, know, I don't know why I said that. It. I'm, it regretting it. I'm regretting it, mate. I'm regretting it every minute of it right now. But there's a version. So he brought that and he opened up the gig with it. I think he'd done Rock and Roll Star since he'd sort of came back um, in 2017. But hello. That's how you open a gig, man. That is how to do it. I'm, I'm, I'm having every bit of that song. I'm surprised that you don't like that. Well, what I'm going to say is, hello, roll with it and Wonderwall. I've already said about Wonderwall. Also, uh, she's electric. 
She's a living, she's electric, man. That's just chuck away stuff. What you've got to remember, yeah. what, el- what else they had at this point? What else was already sitting at this point? Talk tonight, acquiesce, head shrinker, rocking chair, round our way, and the master plan. We're all sitting there. It could have ended, ended up on What's the Story of Morning Glory. Can you imagine What's the Story of Morning Glory starting with acquiesce? I can, and it should have started with acquiesce. Nah. Nah, I would pick hello every day. Every day, I would pick hello. And I think as well, you need to be careful because, see, see the thing is, we know then, He's, he was too smart for his own bloody good. He knew he had all these tracks, right? And there's no, he is definitely split. He's thinking of the money. He became monetized, I think, by Oasis quite early. I think Noel Gallagher, to me, very much seen pound signs quite early on. He realized like what he was doing was a business, not just a band. And then what to slate Liam for only thinking it was a band, where I think it's quite a healthy thing. I want my musicians, my favorite musicians, to. To, to, to just be passionate about their music and the odd antic here and there. No, not that. Um, and I think he monetized, and I think you're right. I think there is definitely songs like Rockin' Chair for me would walk on to watch the story Morning Glory. Do you know what I mean? I, I couldn't agree more. Um, but I think there's a reason why Noah spread them out. And I think he had the vision to do the first ever B side album. But not the first ever, but do you know what I mean? One that was like, going to be like a number one, a B-side album. I think it was, I think it's just been a clever marketing ploy. Bit of filler in this album, bit of filler on that one. Can't put all the good ones in the one CD. What's the point? No, the whole point is to make that classic classic album. The whole point is to make that classic album. And I think he has actually says in interviews after that there's some things that he shouldn't have put on the albums, that he should have used some of the B-sides. But it was that stubborn that he just thought he was always going to write classic songs and they were always going to come out I mean you you look at this some might say EP the B-sides and they're not really B-sides some might say EP we're talking tonight acquiesce and head shrinker (laughs) (laughs) that is utterly frightening yeah that's that's four tracks that we'd walk on to I don't know who's been a big who's been a big band in the last 10 years, the Kaiser Chefs or whatever they're called. <laughs> Something like that. Like, that would be their four best songs ever. Do you know what I, I mean? Be, and they've done millions of records. Mental. She's electric. Round our way is better than she's electric. Yeah, neither are my favourite, I'll be honest to you. I think there's a good comparison with those two, though. I see the similarities. But, but the Round Our Way has got cleverer lyrics. It has. It's got better lyrics, but also if they, they always seem to have the, the, oh, this Beatles thing. We need a throwaway. We need an octopus's garden. And so, yeah. on, so on, definitely, maybe you've got Diggsy's dinner. And on this one, she's got She's Electric. But if you're sitting way round our way, for me, that goes in. <laughs> that yeah. goes in instead of She's Electric. And She's Electric becomes a B-side becomes a for me. It's five-a-side. What is it? It's five-a-side... And they're down in the park or something like that. Uh, the lyrics are really good about the football, man. Then you've also got the, the game master. is kicking off around the park. It's five aside before it gets dark. Yeah. There's going to be a loser, and you know the next, well, the next goal, goal wins. wins. That's that it. is tapping into the normal man's, like the normal like lad at that time's like psyche. It was very intelligent what he did. He just he took little like bits of your life. He just tapped into your brain and just put them into. 
you know, lyrics, like stuff like that was relatable. Do you know what I mean? It Very was. relatable. It was relatable. And it was just when I was listening back to this album again, I'm going, when they can so honey. I could listen to, I could listen to definitely maybe every day of the week. No problem. But it'll be a wee while before I go back to what's the story of Morning Glory mm-hmm. after listening to it today. Do you think one of the biggest mistakes he made was he started trying to sing half the tunes today? He shouldn't, he shouldn't be singing the songs. There's a reason definitely maybe it was the best album. It's because you had the singer singing them. He got a wee bit of an ego problem as well. well. A wee bit, a huge one. A huge one. A huge one. And he took he started taking over duties. It's like, you, used, you, you knew definitely maybe. Well, I agree with what Paul's saying there. The biggest mistake was no letting others write the tunes. Absolutely agree. But I think that was he was creating his exit route by doing all that stuff and he'd given up, but he didn't like Oasis anyway. Um, but I think those first albums, you look at definitely maybe it's success, the singer sings the songs. What's well, the story? Okay, loads of mainstream success, but you're now reflecting on it and thinking one's up way better than the other. And for me, it's no coincidence that he started trying to pinch, just, just worm his way in there at the singing bit, you know? And I thought it was naughty. It is, it is um, but then you, Liam's got a lot of issues at that point with no turning up to stuff and like, and obviously I, I think the 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 myth or the legend, whatever the myth or the legend is, that he either gave him "Don't Look Back in Anger" or "Wonderwall" to sing, and Liam chose "Wonderwall." Oh come on, it's just nonsense. I mean, he's giving me a headache and that. You're in a band, shut up. You know what I mean? Get on with it. You've known him better than anyone. No one knew what they were getting themselves into more than no Gallagher. So all those brains you've got, where did they all go when you went, oh, I'm so scared. It's just embarrassing, man, honestly. It was quite a... Did you watch the interview that Paul done with Rab Allen for Las Vegas? Yes, I did. I thought it came over really well. Everybody that's on this, and there's a couple of hundred on this just now, and go and watch the Rab Allen interview. Uh, from Las Vegas what you've got to remember is Las Vegas were on tour with Oasis when Oasis split up they were the support support band and uh, his insight into what what was happening at that time is very eye opening Uh, so go and listen to that and I think it's very it struck me as Team Liam it struck me very much it was Team Liam I think what actually strikes me is we don't know the whole story and it was probably far worse than what we actually well, that he admitted that. He says you don't know what it was what it was like actually being on that tour. But I think I think it was naughty to put out a statement on a band's website saying that you, you were intimidated and scared by Liam's antics. It was widely reported in every paper that uh, Liam had smashed Noel's guitar, but in actual fact it turns out that is true but in retaliation to no smashing one of Liam's before that. And the reason that Noel had kicked off was because Liam was actually throwing plums at him. I mean, you get to the nitty gritty and you find that that's good for you. Plums. plums. He's an embarrassment, man. Honestly, like, Liam's like, nothing really happened. I was throwing plums at him because he's been an idiot. He's sitting <laughs> with some journalists in the, in the dressing room. So I'm like, hey, <laughs> I would do the same. I get it. Right. Football day to round up the night. Did you see uh, Noel Gallagher being interviewed on Jonathan Ross? Yeah. Right. What do you think of his point that today's generation shouldn't be looking to two fifty-year-olds to give them a, a zeitgeist moment? I completely agree. I've said it for years. I've said you know it's not 
Oasis, I don't know if they're guilty of destroying it because they were so big that nobody feels confident enough to be like like that confident, iconic frontman because they'll either get ripped by them or, or they'll look like a parody version. Do you know what I mean? It's almost like they've created this vacuum themselves inadvertently just by being so big. But the flip side as well is, no, either get on board with it or don't. But either way, it's my belief. I think in the next two years, Liam Gallagher will play Nebworth again. I think that is his. I think that is his end game. I think he's. I think he's mentioned it before. I think that's his end game is to do Nebworth. He won't get away with doing the two nights. I think he could maybe do one to a hundred thousand or something, and that enough would be enough to make me go right. Fine, <laughs> we'll do it. For God's sake, like don't please. I think that that's why I think all roads end. At, uh, Liam threatening to do Nebworth or, or tell him, look, I'm going to do this and it's going to sell. We've got like, we've forecasted the ticket sales and that and we're going on album sales and we're going by the the, the rate the tickets are selling across the country. It's been worked out by the promoters. This is gonna, this is like a doable thing. I've got, I've got bands that we can take along with it. And I think, I think that'll either break the, 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 the camel's back or whatever the saying is or Liam will just go and do that himself. My dog will be shaking his hips wearing a big dog collar and sitting on Jonathan Ross like a smarty pants singing terrible songs. It's entirely up to him. I don't know. I, I, I maybe didn't, for purely selfish reasons, I probably didn't want them to get back together. Final question of the night, Russell. What are you listening to this week? Well, I listened to Stanley Road for the first time. We were talking about that um, start to finish twice in the past couple of days. I found some of it middle of the road, if I'm being completely honest to you. I didn't have the same memories of it that I had before, but I would then contest that Out of the Sinking is one of my favourite Weller songs of all time. I absolutely, I think I played that about eight times the past two days. I absolutely loved it. And I love, I've got a real admiration for how he pronounces his syllables, Kev. <laughs> um, I just think, you know, hello, Kevin, great, um, <laughs> every syllable. He'd be brilliant on Countdown. That's my yeah. takeaway for it. Facebook user uh, comes in. I think it, actually, I think it's Sue. I'm not 100% sure. I'd rather, I'd rather a beta band come back. So would I, mate. So would I. I would rather the beta band came back. That as well. sounds like Sue. It does sound like Sue, eh? Um, what I've been listening to this week, obviously, I started off with James and I. Uh, their new stuff's fantastic. They've released four songs over the last couple of weeks. So I've been getting well into that. And a band called Working Men's Club. As well, I would recommend everybody right. to check them out. So, Russell, we've come to an end to another Scream of Selica. And what a night, mate. I know, what a night. Uh, 1995. Next week, we're going to move on to the Euros and we'll have a look. I think we'll start with 1996. Gotcha. I think we'll all start with the Scotland-England game in 1996 and we'll take it from there. So, everybody... Hit like, subscribe, tell everybody about us, even tell folk that you didn't like about us, and just talk calm doing it.
As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. Sports Social Podcast Network. 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 Network.